our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Suppose you were new to a book. You heard a lot about it. Someone told you it was a must-read, a bestseller. Uh, so you're interested, but, gee, it had an awful lot of pages, and it was kind of intimidating. Still, you were curious, and so you, you, you flipped it open to somewhere closer to the back of the book than the front, and you read this. When they got to the place called Skull Hill, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. The man prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Dividing up his clothes, they threw dice for them. The people stood there staring at him, and the ringleaders made faces, taunting him. The soldiers also came up and poked fun at him, making a game of it. They toasted him with sour wine. By now it was noon. The whole earth became dark, the darkness lasting three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtain split right down the middle. The man called out loudly, Father, I place my life into your hands. Would you want to read a book like that? Sure you would, right? Do you want to find out what terrible things he did? Did he get the death penalty? Authors generally put a lot of work into uh, their book's opening sentences. Uh, it's like a hook they use to draw you in. Uh, call me Ishmael, right, from Moby Dick. Uh, it shows up on just about every list of the most uh, famous or the best opening lines ever. And for life of me, I don't know why. Call me Rob. Okay, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> this, this book you're imagining, though, you're flipping through, has the best opening line ever. And it's not a novel, but it does tell a story, and the story it tells is absolutely true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Greatest opening sentence ever. Sometimes authors will put the almost end of their book in the beginning and then jump backward in time, doling out details a little at a time that led up to that part of the story. Do you ever realize that, that authors have the, the power to control time in their novels? Pretty awesome thought, right? Or maybe they'll put a kind of introduction in the opening page, a sort of teaser to pique your interest, make you, make you uh, long for what comes next. Here's another example. This book opens with a, a foreword that reads like this. Note by Robert Collier. I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing in having my brother's manuscript published. He never thought it would be. Didn't even think he'd finish it. He did finish it, however, and notwithstanding certain first draft weaknesses, I feel that it merits public attention. Richard was a writer, after all, albeit this is the only book he ever wrote. For this reason, despite uncertainties which still prevail, I submitted it for publication. Yielding to the publisher, I've done extensive pruning in the first section of the manuscript. Again, I'm not sure I've done the right thing. I can't dispute the fact that this section was lengthy and occasionally tedious. Still, I do feel guilty about it. If it were up to me, I'd publish the manuscript in its entirety. I hope at least that my excisions have been faithful to Richard's intent. In addition to believing that my brother's book deserves to be read, there's another reason for having it published. Frankly, his story is incredible. No matter how I try, I can't believe it. I hope its publication creates the possibility that someone will. For myself, I can accept one aspect of it, but that I accept completely. 
To Richard, this book was not a work of fiction. He believed, without a question, that he lived each moment of it. Los Angeles, California, July 1974. Would you want to read that book? Maybe you already have. It's actually uh, From Somewhere in Time by Richard Matheson. A story about a great love that transcends time and a, a book that's actually been translated well into a great movie uh, with Christopher Reeve and, and Jane Seymour. My uh, once a year annual watching as I blubber my way through it. I thought about these things because the, the gospel reading this morning seems so out of order. You know, it's not where the author of the storyline put it at all. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is the Palm Sunday story, the beginning of Holy Week, the week that will end with him getting arrested and put on trial and tortured and finally crucified. Now, where's the happy ending in that? And we won't read this lesson where it belongs chronologically until April 10th of next year. Jesus could come back by then. So did the wise men who put our lectionary together, the appointed readings for each Sunday, um, do you suppose they just threw this one in on the first Sunday of Advent to tease us into reading more beyond just the, the Christmas story, the birth of our Lord, a kind of a peek forward in time? Maybe, but I think there's more. There's an alternate reading for today. It's essentially the same gospel as last Sunday's reading, but from Luke instead of Mark. Uh, the Son of Man returning on the clouds, uh, Judgment Day. That made sense on the last Sunday of the church year, uh, the Sunday of the Fulfillment of Christ the King Sunday. But what does Holy Week have in common with Advent? Well, I just said it, a king. The babe lying in a borrowed manger in a borrowed stable looks nothing like a king, but he'll grow up to be welcomed like a king by cheering crowds hungry for a savior king on Palm Sunday. And one day he'll return like the king he already is, king and lord over all the heavens and all the earth on judgment day. The king who came to rescue and save people from what they really needed saving from. Not the Romans, not mankind's earthly struggles. Those things are all just temporary and passing as bad as, as they can be. What mankind really needed saving from and still does is our bondage to sin, death, and the devil. I know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around here, not Calvary. You know, we're putting stars and angels on top of our Christmas trees, not crosses. But we need a reminder where it's all headed. Our out-of-order out gospel today is a little like starting at the last chapter of, of a book and then totally getting the beginning because you already know how it's going to end. You know, if we start by looking for Jesus' return and then, then go back down the timeline of his life, uh, past the empty tomb and the cross and Palm Sunday and his earthly ministry, we'll totally get Christmas. Clear as a bell. We'll understand that peace on earth and God's goodwill toward men came at a huge price. See, if Jesus' journey into our world hadn't taken him from the manger in Bethlehem, all the way to the cross in Jerusalem, there could never be any real peace. A good percentage of the Christmas cards you'll receive over the next few weeks, or these days probably Christmas texts, will be adorned with the acclamation, peace on earth. But what is peace anyway? Would we even know it if we saw it? In the history of recorded time, over 3,500 years back to the day of Moses, uh, the world has really only been at peace something like 286 of those years. 
Over 8,000 treaties have been written and broken. So the proclamation of peace on earth at Christmas, at least to the secular world as they view it, is a little more than a diversion because they're not buying it. For the two-thirds of the world who are not Christians and, uh, and for the good portion of those really who claim to be, Christmas is a little like Seinfeld. It's a show or, uh, in this case, the holiday about nothing. There's no Christ and no Mass in Christmas for them. It's become more secular than sacred. A worldly affair that's celebrated by a world grateful for the distraction, maybe, but it's an empty distraction, isn't it? The absence of the Christ child always leaves a hollow ring to the sounding of the Christmas bells. The Merry Christmas of the Bible has been replaced with the happy holidays created by man. The absence of Christ has left a big hole they've attempted to fill with, with old St. Nick and Charles Dick a Christmas Carol and God only knows how many different versions. It's a wonderful life. How the Grinch stole Christmas. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and so on and so on and so on and so on. And that's not to say that we can't enjoy those stories. You can even make an argument that they're, they're edifying and that they enhance the spirit of the season. But let's not make them the season. Not at your house. I don't think for a minute people aren't still longing for the kind of peace Jesus came to bring. I'd give anything to turn on the news and not hear a story about a, a war on terror or those criminal mobs now descending on, on Nordstrom stores like a plague of evil locusts. You know what I haven't heard about yet is uh, evil locusts descending on Nordstrom's in Dallas and Houston where half the people in the store are probably carrying guns. You know, we're living in an anxious age, aren't we? You know, all those wars and rumors of wars Jesus said to watch out for are brought right into our homes through newspapers and electronic media and 4K resolution. We can't hide from it. It's everywhere. Living through COVID, we've seen jobs disappear and now reappear in such great numbers that there aren't, there aren't enough willing workers to fill them all. We live in crazy times. Now, who would have ever dreamed we would live to see an America not willing to work? We live with the constant stress of an economy that's for the most part out of our control and in the hands of our elected officials, and that makes us feel out of control too. You know, the price of gas alone must be keeping people awake at night. The world needs to be reminded that just beyond all the bad news lies the best news ever. It needs to know that we haven't been deserted and left to our own devices, running around and in endless circles. It needs to know that somebody has ultimate control over things who can guarantee a happy ending and even lead us to it. It needs the assurance that there is a God and that there is a Prince of Peace, just like the Christmas cards say, and that he somehow provided us with an exit strategy. Well, the good news of Advent is that there is, and he has. Jesus is our ticket out of this rat race someday and the doorway to our eternal future in heaven. In the meantime, he offers us his peace, a peace that's truly beyond all human understanding. And once you've experienced it, you're going to wonder how you ever got along without it. This is the time of year when children start putting together their Christmas wish list, isn't it? Maybe some of us big kids, too. And while you, you, we don't expect the little one's list for Santa to change much, what about your list? This whole pandemic thing may have changed the, the things that we value most, uh, but in a good way. 
You know, maybe we've discovered that the things we really appreciate these days don't come in boxes with Amazon smiles on them. Things like the blessing of family and friends, uh, the opportunity to worship freely and often, the time to, to give something of yourself to others in a service project or a visit or a phone call. A lot of people out there still hurting. You know, maybe you can find ways to help put a smile on their face for Christmas. That's a good thing. It means you're starting to get God's kind of peace. You know, David has a sort of wish list in Psalm 25. Uh, It's really a prayer. A prayer for the, the kinds of things that only God can supply. Things that you receive right along with that special peace of God through faith in the Christ child. Listen to some of it now in a modern English translation. See if it doesn't sound a little like your Christmas list might this year, or maybe should. He says, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. O God, ransom Israel from all its troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Now, who is Israel today? The people of God. You and me. Okay, people want everyone really who by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone makes up what we call the body of Christ, his church. People who recognize the sacred of the season over and above the secular. Did you hear what David was asking for? The things he needed? The things he wanted? These are the kinds of things that, that in many cases we just can't, he can't live without and, and neither can others. Now David was a king. He'd been chosen for that job by God himself. He could have had anything he wanted in his life. It was all his. But he recognized some things. You know, the the best things come only from God. He understands God's role in this life. He confesses his sinfulness, the ways of his youth. And you can hear that he's heard some, had some, some hard lessons in life. And he's learned from them. And it's made him realize uh, what's really important. The things that can bring true peace and happiness. Now listen to the list. Don't let anyone embarrass me. Don't let my foes make fun of me. Don't let down your faithful ones. Embarrass the bad guys instead. Help me to know what to do. Teach me how to do the right thing. Show me the truth. Teach me the truth. Show me mercy. Show me love. Forgive all my sins. My hope is in you. Redeem and rescue all those who are yours. Now some of those are things you'd like to have. Some are are things you need. Some are things you can't live without. That's probably a lot different from the list most people will be making soon. In his time, God actually answered every one of David's requests. 
every item on his list. And he did that because David was asking for the right things. They were the right things because all David's requests could be boiled down to just one thing, peace with God. The elusive, passes all human understanding kind of peace the world is searching for in all the wrong places these days can only be found in the Christ child, the Savior King. Not in the precious moments kind of Christ child, but in the one who was born to die in the end and and rise to new life in the epilogue. A real world savior for a world with real problems. The babe of Bethlehem who would set his sights on Jerusalem. The one whose birth was announced by angels and a star and whose death would be met with darkness the world over. The peace the Christ child brings is peace between heaven and earth. Peace between God and man through the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness that would be won for us by the perfect life Jesus lived as a man in our place. By suffering and dying for all our sins in our place to pay the sin debt that we owe God. So if we're ever going to recover Christmas, we have to first recover Advent, the season of preparation. And not the preparation of our homes and our our parties and and our presents. uh, Our hearts. Just like the song we just sang. You see, Advent's a little like Lent in that it's a a time of reflection, time of repentance, a time of uh, assessment, really. Time to remember that all the things of this world are continually passing away. So it's a time to set our hearts once more on the things above. A time to remember and to rejoice in the Christ child who came to die to crucify our sinful passions, to make things right between God and man. And so while Palm Sunday, the story might seem like a little out of place when we're just getting our Christmas trees up, uh, it's exactly where our hearts should be all year round. You know, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that does pass all human understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll take a moment now to receive uh, your gifts your tithes, and your offerings. Uh, If you're visiting with us today, please don't feel any obligation to put anything in the plate when it comes by. We're blessed to have you with us today and pray that your time with us is a a blessing to you as well. They will pass around a Maroon Fellowship pad. If you wouldn't mind putting your name and contact information on that, um, it helps us keep track of everybody. Thank you.